Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3. 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. On this Thursday edition of Footnotes, um, we have pretty good, pretty good Thursday night game tonight. We'll be talking about that a little bit. As the show goes on in different forms, uh, we're going to be talking mostly NFL in the second hour. Well, um, and in, specifically the Saints with Luke in his normal or what what has become as the season goes on his normal time slot at ten fifteen on uh, on a Thursday. And so, obviously, we didn't have a show last week, so we did it uh, a day before, but. Uh, We'll be talking mostly NFL in the second hour. In the first hour, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. And the first hour is open phone line. So if you would like to get in, uh, the first hour is a great time to do so. Uh, And, again, the game hotline is 706-0111. So um, we are looking at, the NFL schedule, I said we were going to be talking about, you know, the game tonight is interesting because of I, I'm still kind of waiting to see what what direction the Bills are going to go in. I, I think what some people look at as a negative could really become a positive because at times – you know, since Josh Allen had his little bit of an injury, um, and I we don't know exactly how much pain he's playing in, and um, I I think they've tried to lean a little more on the running game, and I I really think that if Josh Allen can at least not go below the, the whatever injured level he is right now. Uh, that that's gonna play. That's gonna pay off um, in the long run because at some point, I'm not gonna say that it's you know it's impossible that it can't happen that they can keep playing football the way they mostly played it over the last two years and go and win the Super Bowl. At some point, usually. You've got to be able to protect the lead with the running game or protect your passer, uh, your quarterback, and your offensive line with a running game. It's hard to win the Super Bowl and never be able to run the football or never have to run the football effectively. And so I I think if they're going to do what they, you know, obviously they're all in. They're, you know, so many people picked them to win the Super Bowl before the season started, and if they are going to do that, they're going to have to be able to run the ball at some point. And so I I think having to lean on the running game to protect us an injured, we don't know how injured, but an injured 
quarterback a little bit. I, I, I think it's a good thing for them. Um, and yet they're playing against a Patriot team that a year ago they didn't punt in two games against. It's just unbelievable. I mean, think about that. They didn't punt. Um, it was, um, it, you know, they just blasted them. So, and the Patriots are kind of, kind of still in the thing. You know, they're six and five. This would be a humongous win for them. It's at home. I don't really think the Patriots are going to win, but the truth of the matter is the Bills have not looked spectacular the last couple um, games. Um, and that happens. No no team plays at optimum level for the whole season. Some, you know, some teams lose when they hit lulls, and other teams, they lose one or two, and then others, they just don't play well, and they just kind of find a way to win, and, and then you kind of hope you, you, you get your um, your second breath. So we'll see how, how that plays out. That That is tonight, and... Again, for people who a lot of people make a lot of fun of Thursday night football games a lot of times. Right now, it seems like the Thursday games in this stretch that we're in right now as December opens today, the Thursday games have been better than the the Monday night games because obviously if you're a Saints fan, Saints Yucks is, you know, it's the most important game of the week. You could argue it's the most important game of the year. Um and thankfully, it's getting played when it should. Like, I wish, you know, the Saints didn't need to be playing the Cheaters last week in the Ravens right before. They needed to be playing the Falcons and the, and, and, and the Arnolds. You should be playing your division teams in the middle of the season, not at the very beginning when you're in preseason mode, in the end or the end when most of the teams are eliminated anyway. Like, what good would it do? for the Saints to be playing the Falcons or, you know, at the end of the year, well, this year it might actually play out even though they might, you know, one of them might only have five or six wins and and guaranteed of a losing season it might actually work. But for 90-some percent of the seasons, it's just stupid. And, and, and it's, it's it meant, I've argued this for years and I will argue it forever as long as we're anywhere near the current format that you're you're minimizing you're just throwing the, the importance of division games in the river as our old friend saint would say just throw them in the river just toss them aside like it's trash uh you you have an option to minimize division games or minimize non-division games and the NFL said I think I think we want to make non-division games more important by the way we do our schedule and we want to minimize division games. And I say, boy, that makes a lot of sense. Good job. And that shows you how um, how much power, because they, they spew out that what I think false propaganda and most of the country buys it. They buy that garbage and they believe it. And they don't even second guess it. It just, it's amazing. You know, I, I, I've said, um, I've said, 
I've used this before way long, long, long time ago when I was in a high school debate. We had this evidence card that said something like Americans are a bunch of saps who will eat rat poison and bathe in chicken doo-doo if enough money was spent advertising it. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like they, it, they just say things and then people just say, oh, okay, that's true. And they just buy it hook, line, and sinker. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But anyway, that's um that 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 rears its ugly head every once in a while. That subject is is one that's very aggravating for me. But but um but there are so and we haven't you know we've been so busy with so much other stuff going on. Uh, we haven't really gotten talked about much of the NFL other than the Saints here and there in recent weeks. But it it is going to be it has been a bizarre season and. There are so many interesting storylines uh, that are developing. One, you know, I can't stand Aaron Rodgers, but what are the Packers going to do? Let's say Aaron Rodgers decides to come back. Where would Jordan Love fit into the whole quarterbacks potentially available thing? Like, you know, whether it's the Saints or some other team, like, you know, the Texans or some other team that's going to theoretically be looking for a quarterback. You know, we threw out names like, you know, Jimmy G last week when we were talking about this. Um, what other names did we throw out? A Mitchell Trubisky or, you know, quarterbacks like that who, um, you know, this bozo from the Jets who, you know, certainly don't want any part of him but quarterbacks who have ha- have played a little bit but they did it didn't happen for them and so like a Sam Darnold kind of quarterback that you might think that still has something in their career well could could Jordan Love be on that could Jordan Love be one of those potential options that not a lot of people have talked about that, um, you know, it, I don't know. They've got to determine whether they're going to pick up his fifth-year option soon or not. But maybe you could, you know, if he if he plays okay, if the Bears win. And, again, the Packers are playing the Bears um, on Sunday. If the Bears win that game. At that point, the Packers are four and nine. So do you then say, and you've supposedly got an injured Aaron Rodgers. Do you just sit Aaron Rodgers kind of like the Rams are about to do with all their veterans, just sit them and play Jordan Love? So Jordan Love, if he plays, is not just auditioning for the Packers. There's going to be a lot of teams around the league that need quarterbacks potentially in the next year or so that potentially could trade for him um, who might, you know, the Saints could be. I'm sure the Saints would be interested in watching to see how Jordan Love would play. Plus, I mean, this doesn't necessarily mean anything. The Saints have a history of acquiring ex-Packer quarterbacks. So, um... They have a history of that. So that that that's interesting. Another game 
Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of games that are interesting, but another one that that's interesting to me is to see the whole Jets Vikings. The Jets play the Vikings this week, and this cat Mike White, like most of us don't even know who Mike White is. Like we heard about him when he had his little one or two good games last year, and it's like, what did this? Who is this guy, and what does he want? Kind of thing. So the Jets situation. What are they going to do? And, and what if this guy goes and plays fabulous again and they go to Minnesota and win? You know, that, he, he could be an option for a team. Is he really good or is this this total fluky thing? I mean, it's such a small sample size. There's no way anybody could, could know what's going to happen here. Another very interesting game, Titans and the Eagles. The Titans lost a close game last week that I thought they were going to win. So what's going to happen with them? So, no, I, I think it's a very interesting NFL weekend with some really good matchups. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh, hi, Kevin. Good morning. Uh, I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit and okay. ask you to address two, two subjects that I've been uh, quite interested in this week. One is the health of uh, the LSU quarterback. I've scoured the Internet and – I have seen nothing said since Monday, which makes me highly suspicious. And the other one, if you can maybe uh, give a little rundown on uh, best bowl bets for the Cajuns. I- I'm going to hang up and listen, Kevin. All right. Uh, I-, I-, I spoke with Koki yesterday. And I, um, you know, I haven't heard anything to, to, to raise point. I haven't heard anything about that. And I don't, you know, Koki didn't mention anything of it, so I certainly uh, I don't know. I will try to make some, um, you know, reach out to a few people, but I, I, I can't answer that first question. I don't have a good answer for that for that first question, uh, really. Um, as as for the second one, I kind of wrote down yesterday. So I'm glad Ray asked this question. Uh, I kind of wrote down yesterday just I – I don't really think half of the ones that I'm about to mention are really possible, but theoretically. um, You know, the Cure Bowl did visit the Cajuns in Tallahassee. I don't really think they're going to the Cure Bowl, but that game's going to be Friday the 16th at 3 o'clock. On Saturday the 17th, the Lending Tree Bowl, which is a 545 game, theoretically could be an option. But the problem, I'm just guessing here, but uh, it's in Mobile. And so you have South Alabama's bowl eligible. You're going to have Southern Miss and, and, and Troy. And so you would think one of those teams would go there before the Cajuns would, but I guess it's possible. The other another game that quite a few people, more than one person, has, has predicted is the Frisco Bowl, which is Saturday the seventeenth at um, it's like an eight fifteen start, I believe. Um, you know, it's in the Dallas area. Um, a couple years ago, the Cajuns played UTSA in the first responders bowl. In Dallas, and so you know the Cajuns from Lafayette going to the Dallas area, it, it makes 
defined geographical sense. So I think that's a realistic option. Another one is Monday the 19th is the Myrtle Beach Bowl. But, you know, I I don't really think they're going to send the Cajuns there. I think one of the teams on the northern part or the northern and eastern part of the Sunbelt Conference would, would go to that one. Uh, the New Orleans Bowl, I, I really think Troy or South Alabama is going to go there. But theoretically, it's an option. Uh, Wednesday the 21st, the New Orleans Bowl, a really late start, kind of sickening. But the, it is on Wednesday the 21st. I've heard one or two people say the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. I guess that's that certainly is possible. I really have been thinking all along for a while now, couple weeks that it's going to be the Independence Bowl which is Friday the 23rd but again it's certainly not a lock but I you know I think most people think it's going to be the Frisco Bowl or the Independence Bowl now again when they went to the first responder bowl which is another one the first responder bowl was Tuesday on the 27th when the Cajuns went to the first responder bowl that was kind of out of the blue there weren't a lot of people saying that and the other one would be the Camellia Bowl which is Tuesday the 27th um, I feel about like the Camellia Bowl is certainly an option, but I kind of think that one of those teams in that region will go to that one more than in Montgomery, more than the Cajuns would from a geographic standpoint. So, I mean, again, I kind of think it's going to be Independence or Frisco from everything I've heard and the fact that an Independence Bowl rep has been at two of the Cajuns last three games, which does it mean anything necessarily but it kind of suggests that they're highly interested um but we'll see how the espn officials and what all them think uh, but no i would think it would be one of the bowls that i just mentioned and and i kind of lean towards independence or frisco but certainly you know they've been to lending tree before uh they've not been to the camellia but it's been one of the options before so um i guess none of those would absolutely shock me uh, at all, so we'll see how how that goes. But I'm I'm kind of leaning towards independence, but we'll find out for sure on Sunday. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back with more footnotes on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Champion Houston Astros. It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching mop-up time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry, we have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the world champion. Houston Astros, we told you about this yesterday. We've been telling you a lot about the or trying to encourage you to take advantage of the deals at AcadianaDeals.com. But we have a special offer that we learned about yesterday where there's whether it's Bayou Pop Gourmet Popcorn, where you can enjoy 40 different flavors of gourmet popcorn, or Mudcat Whiskers, where you can get handcrafted beard grooming products, or if you like ice cream like me love 
ice cream. Emmy's Ice Cream Bar, which serves up supreme ice cream. You can get an additional 50% off this week only. Simply use the discount code DELTA50. Delta Media, 50% off. It kind of makes sense. Delta 50, and you will get an additional discount, 50% off at AcadianaDeals.com. Don't delay. This offer ends tomorrow at midnight. So you have today and tomorrow. Take advantage. We can get ice cream. You can um, get a great um, male grooming kit from Mudcat Whisters for a Christmas gift for someone um, you know, on your list that it, or if you just want to get some popcorn and a lot of us like popcorn, especially if you're going to be at home during the holidays, watching movies or football games or whatever. So, uh, great opportunities. And again, go, you can only get it between now and midnight tomorrow. This special deal by going to AcadianaDeals.com. Um, I did get there's obviously something to, um, to to raise question about LSU's quarterback situation. And it, it is an ankle sprain, I'm told. Not a high ankle sprain, and he's expected to play. But, again, it's enough of an issue to where, to raise point, it's probably not being discussed quite enough. Um, and it's already going to be a uphill climb to try to upset Georgia. But if he can't run, I mean, the best thing LSU does is run the quarterback. I mean, that's the best thing they do. Um, um, that's the best part of their offense or the most dangerous slash most hard thing for the opposing defense to defend. And so if he's limited, uh, that's not good. That's not good. So uh, great question by Ray. And, um, and it, you know, certainly something to, uh, to keep an eye on. And it, it's, it, it's, you know, you need him as close to 100% as possible. Because it's going to be hard to just line up and run the ball. And Williams has done great. But it's going to be hard for him to – it's going to be hard for LSU to line up the ball, line up and just run the ball right down Georgia's throat. Not too many people do that. And so, it, you know, the quarterback running is a, a lot harder to, um, to account for, which is why I want Batman to run more and it just – it just doesn't happen, and we'll be talking um, that and many, and many other Saints issues with Luke in the next hour. But, again, great question um, by Ray, and that's what I was able to find out by reaching out to a few people there that know a whole lot more about LSU football than I do. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of monitor that. And it's a, uh, again, I the spread – that I heard for LSU to Georgia was about what I thought that the Saints cheater spread should have been. And the Saints, I said the Saints spread should have been about 17. 
And they ended up, they would have covered 17, and the game was actually a lot closer than that, even though they lost 13 to nothing. By the way, when, when, when that score 13 to nothing was, that's a magical score in my mind as a Saints fan because the first thing I thought of was when I saw the score 13 to nothing. And anytime I see the score 13 to nothing, even if it's in the first quarter, I automatically think of 1973. I don't, I don't know how many of y'all think of that, but anytime I see the score 13 to nothing, I think 1973, Tulane Stadium, the juice during his 2003-yard rushing season came to Tulane Stadium, and the Saints stuffed him better than any defense all year long stuffed him, and the Saints won that game 13 to nothing. So uh, that's what I was thinking of. But I wasn't able to fully appreciate reliving that great memory because obviously the Saints were on the downside of that 13 to nothing. And by the way, I, I was going to bring this up with, with Luke, but I, I've heard a lot of people really bashing um, the, the Saints' performance and, the, and making a big deal about how they got shut out. But I, I just, I mean, do I like getting shut out? No. I mean, it's not fun at all. I mean, you, you want to score, you want to win. I mean, that was a winnable game. I didn't even think it was winnable. It turned out to be a winnable game. But if you win, you know, that's why I think you got to put things through a filter a little bit. Like, if you went back since 2002 and enlisted the 10 worst Saints offensive performances, that performance – in Chinoville on Sunday wouldn't be close to the top 10. Like, it, it was nowhere – it was not one of the 10 worst performances offensively, even in the last decade, even since, you know, Breeze – I mean, Breeze had way – had many worse performances. Breeze-led offenses – offensives, I'm talking about, um, than, that, than that game. I mean, they they moved the ball fairly well. They just they weren't on the field for very long. One and two, they you know they turned it over and they got some bad calls and they didn't get it done in the red zone and they got an idiot kicker who can't make a kick, which has nothing to do with the offense really. Um, so no, I mean I, they've had way worse before. Many, if you did the top ten worst offensive performances since. Casper and and Breeze got there. Just that since 2006, it would Sunday's performance would not be among the ten worst offensive performances since then. Even though they didn't score a point, and if you go back to 2002, then it's not even close. I mean, they've had way more worse offense, you know, performing, especially if you count the Katrina season. So, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a little overrated how bad a performance that was from an offensive standpoint. I mean, just ask yourself as a Saints fan, are you are you that worried about the state of the offense? I mean, the offense last year was putrid. It was putrid. And it was mostly injury-induced, but still, it was putrid. Um, the offensive performance, even though they didn't score, was not that bad. They moved the ball fairly consistently. They had a lot of scoring opportunities. They just didn't finish them. But I, I, I'm not... Oh no! Are they going to be able to get a first down against the Yucks? I I just I don't I don't feel like the offense is in that bad a shape right now. They just played uh, an elite defense on the road. They got an idiot kicker who can't make a kick. 
and and they weren't able to finish in the red zone, which has been a problem all year. Even in games where they scored 20 or 30-something points, they've had some issues in the red zone. They just, I don't know. That, they, they and again, my solution is to play Batman more, period, but especially in the red zone, but maybe they'll come up with something. We'll see. It's kind of an all-in game. I kind of agree with Les, even though, you know, I'm way more glass half full than than most Saints fans and most most of y'all, period, but when it comes to the um to sports and the Saints and the Astros, but but it's it's just kind of an all in game. I mean, just think about how important I don't want to get to this. I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Think about how important Monday is for, for like Saints fans like me. If you win, you got a bye week that you can enjoy for two weeks, kind of still cling to a little hope. Yeah, but really just enjoying a win and a season of just misery, being able to enjoy that win for two weeks. For two weeks. And, yeah, you would still kind of be, I mean, oh, that would just be tremendous. And then, But if you lose, then, you know, you're, it's basically really over now. And you you don't get to you don't play again for two weeks to get that bad taste out of your mouth. Just awful. I mean, this game is just you want to talk about everything. It's this game. It's just everything. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll come back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the world champion, Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yep. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Want to remind you about Christmas comes early sweepstakes. The game would like for you to win a $500 Visa gift card. Thanks to Armentar Jewelers. Simply enter the Game Rewards Club, which we are always reminding you to do by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and you might win a $500 Visa gift card. It's that easy to get eligible and uh, what a great um, prize to win, especially during this holiday season. It's the Christmas Comes Early Sweepstakes, powered by Armitage Jewelers. And the game, 1037 Laviette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, we've been talking a little bit about the NFL and the schedule, and we'll get to a few or more of those games, but also a reminder, we'll be talking lots of NFL. Got the guru at the top of the hour, and then Luke Johnson around 10-15. Um, looking forward to um, talking w- with them. Also, again, uh, open phone lines on the game hotline for the rest of this segment. And remember that 
you know, lots going on. High school football. We 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 talked with Coach Saponche from Turlings yesterday. Talked to a Coach Savoir on on Tuesday about those big games. And uh, we've got Karen Crow at home against Brother Martin. And you can hear that game on Z1059, Sister Station Z1059. And um, Vermilion Catholic is at home. And so uh, a lot of any of those games that you would like to discuss matchups or or what it's going to, you know, what the f- future looks like, which we did a little bit yesterday, certainly feel free to do that, as well as basketball. I mean, we talked with Coach Murphy yesterday and about the Cajun basketball team. They will be playing at UNO on Saturday. And I, I heard Jay, uh, when Raymond was interviewing Jay on, when was that, Tuesday, about the um, – no, was that maybe it was yesterday? Whenever that was, uh, about the the series between the Cajuns and UNO, and those of you who are UL basketball fans, my age or even a little younger or a little older, um, it, it was pretty serious. You know, for a while there, for about a decade, decade and a half, it was a really big rivalry. Now, before that, it really wasn't. When I was really young. It really wasn't. It was more about McNeese and then a little bit later Lamar and Louisiana Tech. It really wasn't about UNO so much. And then um, from the UNO thing started in uh, 81, Cajuns started out 9-0. and And, of course, they you know, they beat – they won the Great Alaskan Shootout and beating Georgetown, et cetera, et cetera. And then they – Marquette and Washington State, and then they come home – I think it was like a Monday or a Tuesday night, and and they get beat at home by UNO by five, and it kind of started then. And it was, they were a pain in the rear end for about a decade and a half, and, and then, and then you know maybe a little longer than that, and then, and then it, they kind of faded away a little bit, and then when it came back, and the Cajuns have absolutely dominated. So, kind of like with the Saints, I like when the Saints kind of own the all-time season series. It was a big deal for me when the Cajuns finally got more wins than UNO. And so will that streak, will that series continue? I, I hope so. I certainly understand if UNO says, eh, I don't think this is, a, this is for us, but I kind of hope that, that that continues. So any of those thoughts on any of those subjects, certainly feel free. But getting back to the NFL schedule that we had kind of started talking about, the Browns and the Texans, think about how much time on and off the air we've talked about Deshaun Watson and how long was he going to be suspended and should he ever play again and all of that stuff. And um, he's, he, he's back. And, you know, when it all was going down and everybody was arguing about it, from a Saints perspective, I was just worried. I mean, it may not matter if the Saints lose Sunday. I mean, Monday, it's not going to matter that Deshaun Watson's back or not. Um, but when the uh, when the Saints play him, hopefully he's still a little rusty. So, I mean, the fact that he's playing against the Texans, I mean, <laughs> I mean, normally that game would mean nothing to anyone other than Texans fans and Browns fans, but it's at least a little intriguing. Uh, the, to to see how that game is going to play out. And then, of course, you have two games which are like the games of the week, the Dolphins and the Cheaters and the Chiefs and the Bengals, just 
pure football games between four teams that have winning records and all. I mean, that that's that's a pretty pretty good game. Not I mean a little better the Jets Viking game not quite to that level, but in that realm. Uh, so there's some really good matchups as well this week. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Good, sir. How are you? Okay. Are uh, you talking about the Cajuns and UNL series and the old-timers? You mentioned that game uh, that uh, uh, they beat us back in Coliseum after we started the season, um, 8-0, 9-0 in um, December of 81. Well, about a month later uh, from there, the Cajuns played at UNO. Uh, in their old chamber of horrors, a little gym, about about three thousand people there, about a thousand were Cajun fans, and Alonzo Allen made a shot at the buzzer to beat him well, on the baseline. Yeah, I remember that. Yes, sir. Yeah, so that was um, a game. I think that ended the series and um, a rivalry, you know, on both sides. Absolutely, uh, it was sort of fun that night since we actually, I was at that game. I just moved to the Orleans, and Cajun fans actually celebrated on their court. They were not happy with that. Um, so that the. That led on to all the tough times we had with the team for years, you know, with the officiating in the American South and the Sun Delta. Let a lot of holding go. I don't think that would work today. No. But anyway, uh, so my point on all that is I've been going to UNO games in New Orleans against Cajuns since the 80s. Not once in my lifetime, ever, has any of those boy games, game, games been easy for the Cajuns. Cajuns have won a few of them, but every one of them has been tough. Uh, Coach Marlin's had success there. He hasn't lost to UNO yet, I'm sure. Um, they're going to look at that game at Super Bowl for us on you know, Some of our fans say, well, everybody looks at it that way, the way our coaches think about it. But in this particular case, it's true. Uh, they would not done nothing better than win that game. And they're playing better. They beat the IUPUI. They lost to Denver by one, and Denver's got a pretty good record right now. So expect a tough game Saturday afternoon. It normally is. You're correct. Yeah. Well, for once in my life, I would like to see us you know, win comfortably there. But I don't think it would matter if Bill Jackson was our coach and Kobe Bryant and Shaq were playing. <laughs> it would still be a tough game at UNO. It's, like, it's never happened as long as I've been alive. I've been going there since for 40 years. It's never been an easy game. So why would it be any different on Saturday? Well, hopefully it is, but you're right. You're, to, to expect it would probably be a little on the foolish side to your point, so I'm with you there. Yeah, well, um, hopefully uh, it's, a, it's a good result regardless if it's closer. L- or, uh, let, let me ask, though, Mike, so, for you, just your opinion, right now, Cajuns are playing well. Uh, no question. They're playing well, and there's a lot to be excited about. What's your number one concern on this team from what you've seen so far? Okay, a couple of things. One is uh, Jordan's got to pass the ball out faster when he gets doubled and triple team. Uh, Drake, we shot, what, 23? That cannot happen. Right. But, you know, I would think that I expect that to happen maybe once or twice throughout the season. And when it does, shots are not there. I would like to see what they did in the second half against Drake. Drive, get off the line, the three-point line, and drive and make some middies. They got back in the game by shooting mid-range shots against yes. uh, Drake. So don't rely on a three-point shot when it's not falling as much. Make the adjustment quicker. Uh, and, you know, you know, we've got some good shooters, you know, Garnett and Valcourt, and the team that can knock them down at times. But there seems to be games in which it's either uh, it was 50% on – Monday night, it was 15% on Saturday night. we got to keep those 15% to a minimum. And the other thing is, when Kobe Judy's going to come back, how are they going to actually handle the, the rotation? Uh, who's going to lose some minutes? And will that keep the uh, good team chemistry going now with it effective? So those are my two concerns. I'm not as worried about the second one, but the, the first one is, okay, three-point shooting needs to be more consistent. Yeah, we've had one bad game, but historically that happens three or four times a year. And 
got to find a way to overcome it. I think in general, Jordan needs to keep the turnovers down when they put a lot of pressure on him because he, 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 he can throw an errant pass. Well, that means he's got to throw it out faster. Yeah. That's why, because he doesn't recognize a double team or a triple teaming his game coming out quick enough. He needs to see it faster, throw it out quicker, and he can get the ball on the, what's called the repost. And then there's other things they can do, uh, like they did against uh, Tech. There was one play where they can do some high lows with Lewis at the top and throw it to Jordan down low, and then um, maybe somebody else cut it and get a duck like Williams did in that game. The point and I are basically the same. Jordan's got to recognize double team and throw it out faster. If right. he does, then maybe the uh, perimeter shot will be more consistent. All righty, sir. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. No, it's good. I, I, I'm a little worried, and it kind of all in on the same little thing uh, so far. Again, it's very early. It's very early. Just if Jordan, it's great having a great player who's having a, off to a great start like Jordan is, and like Terrence Lewis pretty much has been. But I'm worried that that third and fourth score a little too often is just way like not enough points. Not enough points from that third and fourth scoring option in too many games. So, again, it might have been a fluke. It may it may not turn out that way at all. It's just something that I've noticed that uh, kind of concerns me. Once you get into conference play, you're going to need more players scoring 10 and 12 points and not 5 and 6 and 7 points. You know, when you when your third leading score has like seven points too often, that, that, that that's a little, little worrisome. But we'll see how it all plays out. They'll make adjustments. That'll do it for this, for this time. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour, and then again, Guru at the top of the hour, followed by Luke Johnson talking Saints and NFL football. We'll be back on the game. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, as we always, to join the game clubhouse by going to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. You could win a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lesser Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen there. But you can't win any of those great prizes as well as others that come up from time to time. If you don't join the game clubhouse, it's free. It's simple. So sign up today. All right. One of the things that we like to do on this show is give historical perspective overall, but especially when people die. And I, I, I failed to do this yesterday. Um, or was it? Yeah. Anyway, I, two pretty significant sports figures died recently. One of them. It was either yesterday or Tuesday. John Hadle died. He was a quarterback in the 60s and 70s. He's like a legend of KU football and um, in Kansas. He's from Lawrence. And I can remember being six, seven years old, somewhere around there, and seeing this quarterback wearing number 21. Like, you just didn't see that. He wore number 21. And he was the quarterback of the Rams, and 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 you just hated the Rams. I mean, you you always hated the Rams, and you know Jack Snow. I mean, then you just hate Jack Snow. But anyway, um, John Hadle. I just always. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, just thinking how strange that was. And you see that every once in a while now, and now everybody's wearing all these crazy numbers. But back then, it was really bizarre. And this was a guy who. 
uh, set a lot of passing records in the in the AFL with San Diego with um, Lance Allworth and others, and and and, and you know really good. You know, you don't hear his name a lot, you know, when you talk about great quarterbacks of the past. But he was a pretty good passer in this league. And then today, Gaylord Perry died today. Uh, 84 years old. You know, we talk a lot about Justin Verlander and some of these other old guy athletes who are achieving. In 1978, I was 12 years old. Gaylord Perry was 39 years old. He won the Cy Young. He went 21 and 6 with a 273 at 39 years of age. And you know, his he's won he won two Cy Youngs in his career. He won 314 games in his career, and people talk a lot about him uh because he cheated. But like again, in baseball, cheating is part of the game. And it wasn't his job to, to not cheat. It was the league's job to, to catch him if he was cheating and getting an unfair advantage. And he threw what they called the spitball. Just funny. But no, two pretty significant sports figures died this week. Wanted to mention that. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the world champion Houston Astros. We are going to kick off the ground this hour running with the guru. How are you, sir? Hello, hello. Hey, how, how you know? doing? Well, yeah, did you? Su- good, good. Yeah, I kicked this thing off. <laughs> did you survive uh, Thanksgiving holidays? I mean, how, did you eat a lot? I know you kind of you don't probably eat as much as I do. No, I don't think I do. I eat a good amount though. So I was after that. I was I was about to. I was kind of falling asleep there during that Cowboys Giants game. I was woke up though to the Giants backdoor cover in that one, so I was happy about that. <laughs> All right, so, well, since you mentioned that, before we get to some other issues, what do you think of, uh, from a betting perspective, uh, tonight's game? Hmm, yeah, I thought a lot of been moving a lot more toward the Patriots. Uh, it seems like a lot of money is probably coming in on the Patriots, but I, I still like the Bills tonight, you know, the, you know, in New England, cold weather. I think the Bills have kind of shifted their philosophy to more Leaning on the run with Josh Allen, like last week, he—I mean, he threw some, but he ran a lot to where, like, with his arm, maybe not exactly a hundred percent. Devin Singletary has been more involved, and the Patriots' defense got exposed last week. So I'm thinking that that the Bills will be able to win and cover. As far as um, from a from a fantasy standpoint, you know, it it's getting interesting. Because we've talked about how wacky of a season this is. And now there's discussions being taken place like Aaron Rodgers might get shut down. And, you know, who knows how many Rams players, not that a lot of people are counting on Rams offensive players anymore, like are going to get shut down. With some of these teams that have, you know, where their seasons haven't gone, like that's going to be even a more of a bizarre twist than normal to this season. 
Right, yeah, there's been a lot, a lot of teams that have just, like, fallen flat on their faces here. So, yeah, it's probably going to be probably more shutdowns than usual. I mean, Matthew Stafford, I think he may have played his last down of football ever. I, I'm thinking with his concussions and neck issues, he's probably going to retire. Aaron Rodgers, though, I think Aaron Rodgers will play until they're mathematically eliminated. Once they're mathematically eliminated, which probably be soon, I'm thinking they might just shut it down and let Jordan Love take over, in which case that wouldn't be that big of a change, I don't think, because Jordan Love, if anything, might be a slight upgrade over a banged-up Rodgers. They had a Ram situation, so it looks like kind of hopeless. Okay, so let's say, I mean, there might be someone out there who their two quarterbacks were those two quarterbacks, and you need to, or, or you have some other injured quarterback or some quarterback who's just doing terrible, like you drafted Russell Wilson, and and and, and he's doing terrible. So which one of these quarterbacks, if they're still on the market, would, would you trust Jordan Love, or, or, or which one of these guys who are playing now but, um, but, you know, may not have been drafted at all or picked up, would you trust? Yeah, I wouldn't trust Jordan Love quite yet because I mean, he's obviously not the starter yet. So until he is, if you're just in a single quarterback league, I probably wouldn't make the move until he actually gets the start. I would say though, the, the one that's sneaky right now is, is Mike White with the Jets. You know, he's shown that when he gets the chance, he's, he's generally pretty solid, especially for fantasy because he throws it a lot more than Zach Wilson. He's he likes to he's more kind of like. Kind of like the way Fitzpatrick was over there. Like somebody that'll air it out. And they've got weapons. You know, they got Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, Tyler Conklin. They're not lacking in weapons. So I'm thinking that you just need a plug and play for the foreseeable future. And his schedule's pretty light. So uh, yeah, Mike White's someone to watch. And they play good defense, so he's not going to have a lot of pressure on him, and he might not be, uh, you know, uh, playing with, with as much pressure. What What about the Rams' backup? You know, when he came into the Saints game, he actually can run a little bit. I mean, he sh- they moved the ball down the field a couple times. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking, though, that he probably won't get to keep playing because they have the other cat that's, probably going to get going for because he John Wolford John Wolford was the backup all year like before Stafford got hurt so uh so I'm thinking that he'll take back over because Perkins just looked pretty inept as a passer yeah he could run a little bit but they have no weapons either anymore though that's another issue you know A-Rob's done Cooper Cup's done they just they, they have nothing to throw to hardly so um and, and so you don't like any 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 of these others. Like I, I don't know what like um, I mean I mean the Texans have no weapons either, so I wouldn't trust uh, Allen there. So it, it, are you pretty much out of luck? Is what you're saying? If you need a, a, a get a quarterback to finish out your fantasy season and you don't have your starters out or not doing well. Well, there's a few more, actually, you know, besides White. I mean, like, Jimmy Garoppolo's been playing a little better lately. He tends to be available in some leagues. Sean Watson's still out there in a lot of leagues. I mean, he'd be, I mean, I know he's not available heavily, but he'd be someone, if he happens to be there, go get him. Because, I mean, he might be a little rusty, but with his running ability, he should be fantasy relevant. Jared Goff's another one to keep an eye on. He's Got some decent matchups down the stretch here, as well as Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, the rookie, he's got a soft stretch schedule. 
All right, any injuries? Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen in the next couple of weeks with with um, Juju Smith-Schuster? Because he's back, but he but, but is he really back? I mean, I, I don't know. It seems like they didn't really throw to him much last week. Yeah, I think he's back because he's not in concussion protocol anymore. He has an illness right now, but it happened early in the week, so he should be good. For Sunday, they just don't really have many other reliable receivers there. You know, they've got Kelsey, but as far as, the, you know, the receivers, the actual receivers, he's still the top option. So, I think he's still a, a solid select play. Anybody else injury-wise that you're looking at? Oh, yeah, a lot of injuries this week. Uh, Jamar Chase should be back, you know, practicing in limited fashion this, like, the past month, but he. Should be good. Uh, Mike Williams likely out. I'd stay away from him. Justin Fields trending toward being out again. David Njoku, highly questionable. Keep an eye on him at the tight end spot. And then a lot of banged up running backs. CMC, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, Travis Etienne. All them should go, though. Just keep an eye on them because they're questionable at the moment. Are you a little surprised at how little – how few touches DeAndre Swift has gotten since he's been back? Oh, yeah, very surprised. I can't believe Jamal Williams is, is now the main running back over there. I was very surprised by that development, yes. I mean, what does this mean going forward? I mean, this is it's just kind of bizarre to me. Yeah, I think it just shows that I mean, Swift is he's just not really the bruiser there. You know, Jamal Williams. Is taking over as the lead back, the the goal line back, and for fantasy that tends to be where the fruit is because they don't really throw to their back all that much. I mean, Swift catches enough to still be in the flex discussion, but because he doesn't get the goal line work that he was getting, he's yeah, he's not nearly as valuable. On the flip side of it, I've been shocked at how much Jeff Wilson has played in, in, in a role in in Miami's offense, and you've got two situations there where the Dolphins are playing the Cheaters, and obviously there's a huge amount of connections between those two teams uh, right now because of who the coaches are and, and the philosophies. But both of those running back situations are interesting because um, the Cheaters, they, they got injuries again at running back. Right. Yeah, McCaffrey should be good, and he'll have to, if he goes off the shoulder, a lot of the work because they <laughs> the, when a former Cajun Elijah Mitchell going down, there's a kind of a hole there because Ty Davis Price hadn't really impressed. Uh, Jordan Mason, like we don't know what we're getting there. So, like, yeah, it's kind of an unknown behind McCaffrey. And then for the Dolphins, Mostert's banged up, so there's going to be a lot on Wilson. But uh, I don't think the Dolphins are going to run much, if at all, against the Niners because as we saw the Niners, I mean, they just have that brick wall defensive front. So they're going to have to – Try to go with Hill and Waddle and hope they can make plays and keep them in the game. You know, I'm thinking that, you know, Troy had asked me about it earlier. I'm thinking that the Dolphins can hang with the Niners. So I'd still start to and Tyreek and Waddle. But, I mean, it's going to be tough. Though, the I, Niners I, I, I think the Dolphins as well. I think the Dolphins match up very well with the Niners, with the Cheaters. And the reason why I say that is the one weakness the Cheaters have is I wouldn't say it's a weakness, but their their cover corners are not the, the 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 strength of their defense. And the Dolphins have elite receivers that you that you can get the ball to and have them make plays. And I I, I think they match up well with them. But getting back to the cheater running game, 
You don't want to. I don't think. <clears throat> I don't think they're stupid enough to try to make Christian McCaffrey a dump truck from here on out. So somebody else has got to get in between the tackles. That could be a guy to pick up right there. Yeah, and I think that's a, it's Ty Davis Price. I think that's that's the one they'll probably put Matt Elijah Mitchell role because like he's he is he's more of a dump truck than Eli. I mean, at LSU, he was basically a dump truck. He didn't really do much as a receiver. So yeah, I'm thinking he'll take over that role and, and could have some fantasy value. Anybody else like Kyle Pitts is out? Is is there anybody else that really is, wasn't on anybody's radar, but because of injuries, could be getting some more touches around the league in any position that people need to look at? Yeah, I also yeah, since you brought up Kyle Pitts, I'll go to the tight end position. You know, the Foster Moreau because of Darren Waller's injury, he's somebody that's been seeing more touches. So yeah, keep it on him if you need a tight end. And let's see outside of that. Uh, the, the injuries, yeah, you know, Cortland Sutton. I know it's ugly, but because of Judy's injuries, still been relevant. Uh, yeah, and not a not a whole lot of receiver injuries. So, yeah, running back. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson's now an elite back with Damian Harris injured. Crazy to call a Patriot an elite back, but I mean, for fantasy because of his re- receiving work, he he's been at that level. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, Again, this really wacky NFL year just keeps getting wackier and wackier every week, it seems like. It has just been a bizarre season. And hopefully we can uh, get a little relief Monday night, but we'll see. I'm trying not to talk about it too much because it's it's a little on the depressing side, but it's the way it goes. I appreciate your time as always, Guru. Take care. Yep, me too. Take care. All right. We will take a timeout, come back, and shift gears just slightly, talking to the Saints with Luke Johnson next on the game. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you once again about ArcadianaDeals.com where you could win. Get 50% off any one of three great deals at Acadiana.com. AcadianaDeals.com. Buy you pop gourmet popcorn where you could enjoy 40 different flavors. Mudcat Whiskers where you could get a great gift idea for a dad or a brother or uh, just a friend, a handcrafted uh, beard grooming products, or if you like the sweet side of life like I do, Emmy's Ice Cream Bar with Supreme Ice Cream. You could get 50% off any of these deals. But, again, this great offer only lasts until midnight tomorrow. So use the discount code DELTA50. Discount code DELTA50 when you go to AcadianaDeals.com. All right. We have with us Luke Johnson of the Advocate at NOLA.com. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Well, last week you and I were kind of on the same page going into this matchup out west for the Saints. And I got to tell you, I know that I've heard a lot of really negative talk about the Saints and how bad it was. They lost 13 to nothing. But I was shocked at the performance. I thought it was the best they looked in two months 
and and um, it actually was a winnable game, which I didn't think going in. What, what were your thoughts once the game was played? Yeah, it was it was weird because you know we both expected it to be bad, right? And it it was bad in an unexpected way, right? Like I still think I still think it's it's uh, it's bad for the team to go get shut out, right? Um, but yeah, they that was as you said, a winnable game. Their defense, I thought, played as good as they've played all season. Um, the offense moved the ball at times against a really good San Francisco uh, team, despite the fact that it didn't run the ball. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, they were down. They had two trips inside the 10-yard line. They had you know, another one that was negated by a penalty on the interception. Um, you know, they, they would have had another trip inside the 10, if not for you know, a bad overturn, in my opinion. I think they played pretty well for a game they got shut out in, right? But it doesn't matter at the end of the day because they still came away with zero points. I think that's what bad teams do. Yeah, they, they don't find a way to capitalize on, on opportunities against good teams. No, I mean, I agree. I just think I'm not – see, I, I'm not really – I mean, obviously the Saints have a, huge, a lot of challenges, but I'm not really that worried that the offense is suddenly just totally inept when the offense has mostly been fairly good. The problem has been the defense. It was – I didn't even think it was possible to hold that team to under 100 yards rushing. I mean, really, I didn't even think that was possible. Yeah, uh, no, and, and, you know, I think they uh, – just throughout the game, they, they that looked like the Saints run defense from uh, 2018, 2019, 2020. So – Really, really good Saints run defenses. Right. And I think that's, that's why the rest of their defense played well. So how did that happen? Like, is any sense of how that – how did it happen? What was different? Well, I, I think it's – for me, it just was as simple as those guys tackled really well. Um, yeah, they, they First of all, they, they played really sound defense. They were in their gaps. They were where they were supposed to be. There was only one time throughout that entire game where, you know, they just got totally blown out of the hole. And, uh, you know, got ripped off a big run, and that, you know, it ended up coming back on a penalty, so it didn't hurt him. Um, but, you know, I think they, they were where they were supposed to be. They had guys rallying to the ball, and, you know, they, they were sound tacklers. It's, it's stuff they haven't done all season. Um, and, you know, you saw them get a couple guys back, and I thought they played better. You know, it was really important for them to have Cam Jordan out there. He didn't have any sacks. I don't, I don't even think he had any pressures on, on Jimmy G. Uh, but, yeah, that that guy is going to be a Hall of Famer because he is one of the best two-way players in the NFL. So even when he's not impacting the game in that way, he was, he was a, a really good, strong run defender in that game. Um, I think Caden Ellis has been a, an absolute re- revelation for him. Guy had 14 tackles out there. He was all over the field. Zach Bond showed up a, a couple times. He made three stops within a, lot, a yard of the line of scrimmage. I just, you know, they went into that game, obviously, they were like, we're, we're going to sell out to stop the run and make Jimmy G beat us. Um, and I think it was a really good plan. And, you know, it just they just weren't able to capitalize on it because their offense couldn't get it done when it really mattered. And, uh, and another reason, and I'm just going to say this because I'm angry, uh, and we'll get to him later because they have a kicker who can't make a kick. But anyway, uh, you brought up something else that was very interesting to me that has never made any sense to me why this guy could be as bad as they seems to be is Zach Bond. Like, where did that come from? And if he's capable of doing that, why does he never play? Well, I think because, you know, that was, that was a game that suits Zach Bond's strengths. Um, 
he's a, a really, really good downhill football player, which is which is why I think you know, throughout training camp these last couple of years, we, we see him and we're like, okay, like this guy can play. Like they got a player in him. The problem is you know, when when you have to put him on the field a bunch, teams are able to isolate him in coverage, and that's a that's a huge huge weakness for him. Um, so you know, I, I think in games like this, where he can hover around the line of scrimmage and use his athleticism to go make plays on the ball, he's really good. And I think at some point in his career, I, I, I don't think it's going to be with the Saints. I, I think he's going to he's going to turn into a pretty good pro. And people are going to be like, man, why couldn't he do that here? And it's, it's because I, you know they're they're asking him to do something that he's not very good at, and they they thought they could make him into an off ball linebacker, and he's just not. But when it comes to him flying downfield and making plays on the ball, making plays in the run game. Um, even I, I think as a, as a rusher, he had a, a nice rush on Jimmy G and forced a, a rush throw. Um, he's a pretty good player. Yeah, those are the, those are exactly the traits the Saints saw in him. They just thought they could turn him into somebody who's. Uh, who's but, but why can't they utilize what he can do more? Because that's not a nothing. I mean, what what you're saying he can do is what a lot of guys do in the league defensively. Well, it seems. Like. Well, I think the reason the reason why we haven't seen more of him is because the guy who's been taking those snaps from him is Caden Ellis. I think we've all found out he's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, I think um, I think they're actually just a little bit deeper at linebacker than we all thought and going into the season when they were you know, bringing in all those veterans and, and trying to find guys who could add some depth to the room. You know, I, I just think that Caden Ellis, um, obviously, over these last couple of weeks, has been filling in for Pete Werner, is, is a really good football player, and he's kind of taken some of those snaps that Zach Bond would otherwise get. All right, so Let's get to the other thing. That you know, what? Seriously, why do you think Will Lutz can't make a kick? I mean, I it's know. not that it's, hard. It's really, it's really bizarre. Um, you know, it, he, he was obviously before the injury. He was one of the better kickers in the NFL. He's somebody who you really, really trust. And that's just not where he's at right now. And I, I don't know if you know, a year away from from kicking the ball is is it just totally messed with uh, with you know, whatever kickers do. <laughs> Right, I, I think it's a very technical position that a lot of people don't really understand, and I, I think there's something off with Will Lutz's swing. Um, but it's a big problem, right? I, I mean, points for this team are at a premium, and, and we've we've known that throughout the year. I mean, they've they've lost a lot of close games, um, and if you're getting to a point where you can't really rely on Will Lutz to go out and hit a 48 yarder, I think you're in trouble. And think about it. If he makes the kick, it changes so many of these other possessions where they could they could kick a 20-something yard field goal instead of having to go for it on two or three of those opportunities. And that changes the whole approach in the game. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that fourth down, uh, that fourth and goal at the end of the game, they could have kicked a field goal there and made it a one-score game. Right? And they could have trusted their defense at that point to go get a stop. And honestly, that, that last drive of the game, San Francisco ran out the last six minutes of that clock. Uh, and only faced one third down that entire time, um, so I, I think that's I think the defense is in a little bit different mindset there. If they're not down thirteen and nothing, and know they don't have a shot at anything, right? Uh, versus down seven, knowing if you get the off- ball back to your offense, the off- I mean, the offense had three really good. They only touched ball three times in the second half, and all three times they were in scoring position. So I think that changes completely changes the the the, the game right there. If you're able to kick a chip shot field goal, make it a one-possession game, the defense has a little bit more on the line there. It was just unbelievable. It was was just one of the more frustrating games if you're pulling for the Saints because so many things looked like they were about to happen, and then they didn't happen. Yeah, no, it was incredibly frustrating. It's just 
when when AK fumbled at the one yard line. Yeah, you know, it just it just felt like it felt like I was watching some like dark comedy. You know, <laughs> it's just like how is this even possible? Like, how was how was their best player? You know, fumbling at the one yard line, fumbling for the second time in a game, and then it looked and like they had, they had an interception. They had, two shots, they had two shots of recovering that ball. Yes. Juwan Johnson had had a ball through his hands in the end zone, and then Cesar Ruiz had it right at the one yard line and couldn't come up with it. And uh, you know, it's just it just felt it just felt like a. There were so many moments of that game where it just felt like it was a microcosm of the season as a whole. Yes, absolutely. But again, because of the situation they're in, and I've been preaching, don't worry about down the road. It, it was just as crazy as it sounds. It was. It was. It was the most encouraging game, other than the Raider game. But again, the Raider game. I don't even know what to make of that game. It. It was like a game that. It was like a Twilight Zone game. Like, there's no way. Look, look, look at what the Raiders running game just did, okay? <laughs> and, and what they've done since the Saints game. And it's like, I don't know. I, I almost like want to just dismiss the Raider game. But other than the Raider game, it was the most It was the most they looked like the football team that I thought they could be at the beginning of the year all season. Yeah, I agree with that, uh, especially on the defensive side. Um. I think they played a really good game that, you know, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, though, it doesn't matter. You know, I, you know they, they, they still lost by double digits. But if they can duplicate that, if they can play that way the rest of the year, they're not going to play a defense that good every year. If they, they keep executing on offense like they did in a lot of that game, it, it's not going to produce zero points against all these other defenses that they no, have. I agree. I agree. But I just – with this team, the only consistent thing about this team is how inconsistent they've been, you know? And, I, like, I was really encouraged by that, but, you know, every time I'm encouraged by, by something this team does, they go out the next week and they just get blown out by Baltimore, you know, or or something along those lines. They, they have not put, like, two good games back-to-back together this season. That, 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 um, that, is, that, is, that, is, that is absolutely true. All right, we'll take a timeout when we come back. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna. T- I want to see if you have the solution of how to execute better in the red zone, and I'm gonna give you my suggestion, and we'll see if you agree or disagree with it. We'll do that on the other side with Luke Johnson of the We'll be back on the game. You know the routine: eat, drink, sleep, and sports all day. Every day, you're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. If you're a lot more tech savvy than me and you use your Alexa or Google Home speaker to help you out with lights and thermostats and all those things, why not add your radio listening to that all uh, you can also do that with the game. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles with you, home, office, everywhere you go. All right, back with Luke. I think, Luke, my solution, and again, obviously I may be exaggerating a few plays here and there, but in general, my f- solution would be, Batman ought to be under center every snap this team takes once they get to the red zone. What do you think? Yeah, I was thinking about this in the commercial break, and uh, I totally agree. 
um, especially when they were down there in that fourth and goal or the, the first and goal where they have set up. You're 40 yards away. You give them the, the run pass threat there. And even if they, like, I think San Francisco did a really, really, really nice job on Taysom Hill. Um, you know, they, they had guys there. They overloaded the blocking every play. But I think if you have the option for Taysom Hill to throw it down there, you, you at least got to gotta give him that, that look, I think. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I, he I can throw they're, it. They're, and he can yeah. throw. I mean, it's almost like they act like he can't throw. Like, all Saints fans are upset because of the, the catch the NFL stole from uh, West Chandler Olave, but that was they, they, they never went back to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think they need to utilize him more in that way. Um, and I think he's been pretty pretty successful when throwing the ball this year. They, they've let him do it more, um, but I still think they're not doing it enough. I, I agree. So, I mean, I still think, and I know you largely disagree with me on this subject, I still think they need a running back. They just don't have one. And I just – and I guess theoretically Ingram is one, um, but he's just – he just – you know, he is what he is at this point in his career. I, I just – there are, I still don't understand why they haven't picked up one. I just think that the options out there are pretty limited. And Melvin Gordon, notwithstanding, I don't think he's signed with anybody yet. Um, He's on the Chiefs practice squad. He did sign with the Chiefs. Okay. So, look, I I just think that the options out there right now are not better than what they have. You know, maybe you can give David Johnson another, a little bit more of a look. Um, Yeah, I don't think that would hurt. But, um, you know, it's just, it's not good right now. Um, Alvin hasn't had really a good game running the ball, and he's probably since the probably since the Vegas game. Now that I think about it, and uh, they're they're not getting pretty much anything from anybody else. It's not named Taysom Hill. I mean, Andy Dalton was their leading rusher on Sunday. That's but what I'm saying. Like you know. Just incredible. But anyway, Look, uh, it, it's, it needs to be it needs to be a huge priority this offseason. Right, because Elvin is going to be suspended next year. There's no doubt in my mind about that. So, I mean, that alone, right? But I, I think you're seeing right now that that you know Ingram is is not what he used to be, right? And uh, you you need to have another guy there to take some of the load off. And I think that you, you look at some of the better teams right now. A lot of them have really good one-two punches. That's what the Saints had when they were a really good team. Um, so you know, it needs to be a, a really like a top priority, and I, they need to whether it's it's investing in a, a real free agent or um, or using a, a fairly high draft pick on a running back. I think they need to they need to go that route. So what do you what do you think of Mon- the matchup Monday? I mean, obviously they've played very well against this team uh, in the last three or four years, and really even longer than that, and. The first game, I think they were in position to to maybe win the game, and the officials kind of took over that game with some awful calls. Um, so I don't really know what to think of this game. I don't think anybody does with the way these two teams have played, but how do you see the matchup? Yeah, I, I really like the Saints in this matchup, honestly, um, especially if they get Marshawn Lattimore back, which I'm assuming they will. Um, you know, I, I just – I've been down on Tampa the entire year, um, and I think the Saints played a really, really good game against them defensively in Week Two. Um, and Tampa scored 20 points in that game, but it basically 
basically 17 of those points came off of turnovers. Yeah. Right. And he had a pick six and then had two more set him up in, in really, really advantageous scoring position. Uh, so I just, there's something about what Dennis Allen does with this defense that just gives them absolute nightmares. And, uh, and I, you know, I really actually like the Saints in this matchup because of that. Um, I think they're going to be able to move the ball against against Tampa enough to, to win the game, and I think their defense is going to have a really nice day again. You know, I mean, it really it may come down to the same thing that you could argue this last game came down to, field goal kicking and executing in the red zone. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and I mean, so it's, it's something's got to change these, there. How these games have gone. Yeah, <laughs> something's got to change there. Yeah, well, and I think it's really important that they don't turn the ball over. I mean, you know, this is like broken record alert, but they've been doing this every single game this year. I mean, I think they've only been on the plus side of the turnover margin maybe twice this year, um, maybe three times. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's like that is reason number one for me. And all that other stuff, I mean, it, it gets magnified when you're turning the ball over, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think if they were able to, to just – finally force some turnovers if they're able to you know prevent themselves from turning the ball over you know themselves I, I think that's that's like always going to be the key for me and, and until the team figures out something in that regard it's just going to it's going to make it's going to make those red zone failures a lot loom a lot larger and it's going to make the the missed field goals and missed opportunities a, a, a lot uh, more impactful so um, you know, to me, that's that's what it boils down to, and they've done a really nice job in the past of you know forcing Brady to make some mistakes, and uh, and I think that's going to be paramount in my my opinion this week. All right, so I I, don't, I shouldn't even say this, and my, if my wife or daughters were here, they'd be slapping me for saying this because they they believe in jinxing and all that. But is this going to be the healthiest? Or what are the chances that this is going to be the healthiest team the Saints has put on the field all season? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think they were pretty, they were pretty healthy before they went out to Carolina in Week Three. Um, but I mean, we're, we're also going to have to wait and see what's going on with T.J. Williams and Bradley Roby, both of whom left the game early last week. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think. They'll have, they'll have Trevor Penning. <laughs> you know, I think he's I think he's a pretty good weapon as a sixth offensive line base, but you you can bring him in there and essentially just have a you know six man offensive line for passing plays. I don't think he's, he's that jumbo uh, formation is necessarily even just for running plays. They used him a lot as a pass protector this last week. Um, you know, Marshawn Lattimore being back is you know going to be huge. Um, yeah, I think their defensive ends are finally starting to uh, get a little healthy. I, I just think that. If they are ever going to make a run, right? Like now is the time uh, because you know, they're finally starting to get some of these guys back from injury. And, and who knows? I mean, we I could go out there to practice today, and you know, Pete Werner might be out there. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a possibility. So, um, yeah, so yeah, it's as healthy as they've at least they've been since like week two. And if they get get the win, and who knows if they will, but if they get the win, then then you can get even healthier with a bye week, and actually might have a a reasonable chance of of, of playing to your potential. Yeah, I think so. Um, you, they have a chance for sure. Uh, but like you know, as we've kind of discussed all season, they, they've been 
they've been making that that chance like smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And now they're basically at the point where they have to essentially win out, right? Which is like a huge obstacle for a team that has not won consecutive games all season. So like they've got to figure it out. If they're ever going to figure it out, now is the time. Uh, and especially guys coming back, like it's really do or die for the Saints. This well, week. Luke, you and I both know we've gone over this before. It's impossible to win out because the Eagles is an unwinnable football game. Like we, you, I, I'm feeling a little less and less like that's a like that's a thing. You really believe like, that? I, yeah, I think. Look, after watching them play pretty well against what I think is the best team on their schedule you know, against San Francisco this week, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. I don't think it's it's just like you need to market and, and sharpie right now. They're going to lose that game. I don't think it's likely. But I don't think it's a, it's an impossibility. But I also don't think the Yucks, Arnolds, or Falcons are any better than they were last week or the week before or the week before that either. They're not going to like – none of those teams are going to win out, do you think? No, I don't, I don't think so. But I still think, you like, if, you need, if you're going to give yourself a realistic shot at this, I don't think you can do anything worse than 8-9, right? I, I think that's, that is the – it is like the low watermark, I think, for winning this division. Um, so, you don't think seven with a tiebreaker can win it? I don't think so. I don't think seven's going to do it. Well, we'll see. And I haven't even been looking. I really, I, I, I've been of. Let, let's just win a game, and then let's win two games, and then if they win two games in a row, then we can talk about. It. I haven't even looked at any of that because I didn't want to think about all that. Like to your point, until they win two games in a row. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's. I can guarantee you that's the mindset they're taking right now. Like, they cannot look at the big picture, and they'd be fools if they looked at the division and be like, we're still in it. You know, they got to figure out their own problems before they worry about anybody else. I agree. Well, I mean, I think that's two out of the last three weeks that we've mostly agreed on everything. How about that, man? We're vibing. (laughs) So how did Thanksgiving go? My wife's family uh, all did Thanksgiving in Houston. I obviously was not able to go since I had to uh, a work and b fly out to San Francisco on Friday. So, um, one of my very good friends from the Marine, from the Marine Corps, the whole reason I'm here in Louisiana in the first place, uh, is from Metairie. So I, I managed to skip over there and grab a huge, huge serving of, of mac and cheese and turkey and ham before uh, before I went out to practice and made myself a nice little Thanksgiving dinner by myself with the dog. So it was nice. All righty. Well, I appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. My pleasure. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Luke Johnson, um, you know, again, he and I have been mostly agreeing. I like it. I hope he's right. Um, I still think Bond has got to be a better way to use Bond than they've used him, but I, I, I get his point, and, I mean, who knows? I mean, Will Lutz, just make a kick. It's not that difficult to make a kick. All right. One more to follow after this timeout. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Footnotes. Want to remind you about the Louisiana Christmas Channel. You can hear all your favorite Christmas classics or local Cajun Christmas songs on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. Nonstop Christmas music 24-7. You can hear it live on LACHristmasChannel.com or download the free mobile app on 
both your Apple and Android devices and listen on your Amazon Alexa. So listen to Christmas Holiday Cheer 24-7 on the Louisiana Christmas Channel. You know, I'm not going to tell you which football coach it was, but one of the football coaches I interviewed, I did that little promo before the interview, and later on that day, he texted me, said, how do I get that Christmas music? I kind of need that in my life right now. And I said, I agree, coach. I need it too. I mean, sometimes when you've had a long football season and you're kind of stressed out a little bit, you need to just decompress when the season's over and just – Listen to some Christmas music, especially if you are a, a big fan of Christmas like I am. All right. we Again, it's still football season, but there, the winter meetings are next week in major leagues. And, you know, we are the home of the world champion Houston Astros. So we're going to talk baseball here and there throughout the offseason, especially with a lot of rumors flying around. And we talked about this a little bit earlier Um couple weeks in the week and and even a little bit last week there's a lot of rumors out around about Wilson Contreras and there were rumors about the Astros getting Wilson Contreras back in July right before the trade deadline and if you believe the reports the two GMs for the Cubs and the Astros had agreed on a on a deal and in principle and the um supposedly the Astros owner Jim Crane Put the kibosh to it. And so the thought process now when you heard it, my first reaction was, well, why would they pick him up now when they didn't want to pick him up then and the guy who made the trade is no longer the general manager? And I mean, I think there's logic to that, and that might still be true because just because there are rumors out there doesn't make it true. We've learned that over the years. But – the more I think about it, it is a little different, potentially. And what I mean by that is, one, you were going to have to give up Jose Arquiti. Not that Jose Arquiti's really high on your list, but still you would be giving up a guy who's been a good functional pitcher for you. So you'd have to give up something to get him then. The other report, and if it's accurate, we don't know, but it I guess it makes sense, that has come out in the, this past week is – that the Astros are not really looking to acquire him as a catcher. See, at the at the the trade deadline, I think they would be bringing him in as a catcher mostly to be the second catcher with Candy. Well, if you believe the uh, report that's out this week, it's that they actually would be bringing him in to be a platoon left fielder slash DH and catch sometimes maybe. With, with El Pedro Grande in left field. Because one, El Pedro Grande turned out to be a much better left fielder than any of us thought that he would be. Now, you know, he, again, he's had injury concerns and all, but he's faster than we thought he would be, and he's a, he's a better left fielder than any of us thought they'd be. And the Astros have the, sec, has this, have the second smallest outfield in baseball for their home games because of the, the short porch in, in left field. So there's less ground to cover anyway. So... You know, I could. I, I guess if you're going to bring him in as primarily a left fielder, then you want him to go through training camp and being a left field instead of just throwing him out there in left field. Contreras has played. I thought. I thought I read like thirty something games in left field in his career, but that was like his first year, five or six years ago. He he hasn't done it in quite a while, and he would kind of give you a third catcher option, which is always nice to have more options. Some may perhaps if. 
if a um, one of the catchers goes down, he could play two weeks at catcher maybe or some of two weeks at catcher or whatever and give you more flexibility. Now, the only – so, I mean, that that I guess I'm okay with that. Now, it, it wouldn't – your overall defensive – Outfield play would probably go down a little bit if you did that, but it's not like if you signed Brantley, he was this great defensive outfielder anyway. So, I, I think that could work. My only question about that, if it transpires that way, is that that's a lot of DHs in one lineup. Like you got to have versatility and a certain amount of athleticism on your team. So, you know, if if you especially if you if you they're still talking about adding Yuli as a reserve. See, I, I don't know that you can do that. If you're going to have a DH, essentially a DH and left, two DHs and left, and Yuli as one of your backups, I, I think that's too many DHs in one lineup. So I think if they do this, I hope Yuli just retires because you you got to have – um, you know, the Dubons and, and, and Diaz's of the world to give you flexibility and a little athleticism. And and maybe you could still have room for just Dubon, and who's very athletic and can play just about any position that you need him to. I just uh, – I, I don't think you can go too far down that DH road and, and have too many guys who are older – and aren't real athletic or aren't, you know, can't play a bunch of positions. Like, you know, they say Eula can play second base. I guess he could, but I just, I don't know. I'd rather have Dubon be that um, that super versatile type guy. And again, maybe they can figure out a way to make it all work. But that would be my only concern about doing the double DH slash in left field thing is not having quite enough versatility overall if Yuli also comes back. We'll see how all those numbers because the guy Hensley, he's pretty athletic and he had some good at bat. So I I'm not saying I'm sold on Hensley for, you know being here for a long term, but he did he did had some interesting at bats and, and he seemed to not the game didn't seem to be too big for him last season. So that was um that was good to see. Just a little baseball to you know to kind of whether you're an Astro fan or an overall baseball fan, to kind of get things going um, in your mind before the winter meetings start on on Sunday, so it, it it'll be interesting to see what the Astros do, and I hope they don't do something that's a little too crazy. But uh, it 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 is kind of exciting going into a hammock season and have all of this, um, you know, kind of a dream lineup that they're putting together here. All right, that'll do it for today. I appreciate everyone who. Uh, All the guests and callers that came, y'all have a nice day.